Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn with Focus Compounding, on air live with Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how is it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great with everybody else as well. If this is the first time you are tuning in with us, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out all of our content that we push out into the investing universe. The best way to do that is to follow me on Twitter at, at Focus Compound. Uh, follow me on X. Gosh, I got to reprogram myself. Best way to do that is to follow me on X at, at Focus Compound. See, the big issue here, Jeff, is, I mean, the URL is still Twitter. So, mm. you know, I, I don't know, right? So follow me on Twitter. Uh, or X at Focused Compound. Of course, go to our website, focuscompound.com to get access to investment write-ups from Jeff going all the way back to 2005. Uh, and if you're interested in learning about our money management services, you could reach out to me at andrew at focusedcompounding.com. So in today's podcast, Jeff, we are going to be talking about US Steel and everything that's going on there. I think it's been a fascinating case study. And mm -hmm. we could chat a little bit about it. Uh, That's also jumping... X. The ticker symbol that is, is also X. X. That is yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people don't know the ticker symbol, but it's that yeah. is a hundred percent true. Yeah. What's yeah. what is you know speaking of Elon, the most entertaining outcome is the most likely or whatever he always says, and that's true. Yes. U.S. Steel ticker X trades on the New York mm -hmm. Stock Exchange. It's up ninety two and a half percent year to date. Um, yep. Absolutely. And still crazy. below the uh, takeover price, right? What's the takeover? You got the numbers? $55 per share. 55. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, there's obviously questions about that because I think some of the other bids were down at like 35 initially or something. So, yeah. Uh huh. So, very interesting situation going on in the market. And it kind of, in a way, reminds me of UK car dealers in the sense of mm -hmm. when there's consolidation happening and there's acquisitions happening. It could be a great place to look for value as public market investors. We've spoken about Friedman Industries on this podcast. Yes. We don't own it, but no. it's an interesting scenario because I believe it was a net net uh, at the beginning of yeah. the year, right? And we always and talk about... Go ahead. I was going to say Friedman also, just in case people don't know this part of it, it expanded and stuff, but it got an investment from a Japanese steel firm as part of it. They gave them some shares as part of it. Um, so Friedman, like from the time we talked about it and now has greatly increased its capacity in the United States in terms of uh, different plants it owns and stuff. But part of that deal was metal one, some, some company like that. I forget what their name is now. Um, took some shares as part of that deal and, you know, some shareholders didn't like it. It was a big expansion, but it went from being a net net to being a much bigger business because it used that capital. Mm -hmm. So it kind of toys into, I guess, capital allocation, our last podcast that we did, which by the way, was probably one of our most popular podcasts that we've done year to date. Um, when I was editing it, sometimes I always have like a, you know, <laughs> a, a intuition if a podcast is going to be great mm -hmm. or not going to be great. I will say sometimes there are ones where I'm like, oh, this is great. And nobody really, you know, comments <laughs> on it. But this podcast I knew was a really good podcast. It was just, okay. it was great. And I felt like we, the flow was great. The conversation was great. The length was great. Everything was just great. We hit on all cylinders. And uh, lo and behold, got a lot of attention. People seemed to really like it, right? Talked a lot about capital allocation. 
Uh, Freeman Industries is an interesting situation because, as you had just said, at one point, it was a net-net, right? And we've talked about Freeman Industries for over the past couple of years, how at times it becomes a net-net and then it doesn't, you know, whatever, it hits in the cycle. And one thing that was interesting, you know, because people always reach out and say, okay, it's cheap and it's a net-net, but when will that ever change? And you just always kind of say, it just happens, right? Capitalism works. Capitalism happens. The incentives are there. Things just work out over time. I did think it was interesting seeing a filing that they're buying back their stock uh, pretty aggressively. Okay. Um, the stock is up, like I said, I think like 92% year to date, but they put out a press release on December 13th uh, that they repurchased 400,000 shares uh, from Metal One Corporation from an aggregate repurchase price of approximately $5.1 million. At mm. the repurchase, the company had 6.9 million shares of common stock outstanding. In addition, the board of directors authorized a share repurchase program on December 13th, uh, under which the company may purchase may repurchase up to a million forty-five thousand shares, uh, which equates to 15% of the company's outstanding shares of common stock after the repurchase of shares from Metal One. So kind of interesting there, right? So you had just hit on, they issued shares to Metal yes. One, but now they're buying them right. back. So what's what's going they on here? What do we, how do we make of all this? Okay. Well, there was consolidation. They got assets out of it. Um, they, they also did huge CapEx. My memory is that the number of votes against certain directors was extremely high at this company after this happened. Um, years ago so they had paid a dividend for i don't know 50 years or something not a very big one but a dividend and they've been sort of a net net and they've been a much smaller company obviously in terms of market cap and everything and so i think there was a big shift in terms of shareholder base and all of that and i think it would be similar to like herco or something you know company we mentioned recently which is a net net or was a net net you know depending on you know exactly where the stock price has moved since then but it, it was at like 70 percent of net current asset value a quarter ago or something um, and that company, uh, which is numeric control, um, stuff for, um, basically machine tool stuff, um, that, um, is similar in that people would get into it for that asset reasons, you know, and then if there was a big change in the, uh, in the company, you know, going in a different direction, like suddenly expanding a lot or something, I'm sure there'd be a reaction from people, right? And both of these companies didn't have really large shareholders, you know, and were small companies that would have, you know, like I'm sure Royce owns some of, uh, I think Royce owns some of Herco, but that kind of company would own Friedman or something, you know, um, it has some institutional shareholders and stuff, but very small, like micro cap value. Um, and so they don't really expect you to do something different like that. Um, even the level CapEx, do you have the cash flow statement for Friedman? Sure. Because they earned a bunch of money and then they've used it. Um, I don't know if, do you have any, like what the, um, do they show any CapEx there in the last few years? I mean, it's definitely uh, jumped in a huge way. So for people listening, call it before 2022, on average, it looks like they spent, I don't know, maybe 5 million bucks, uh, you know, more or less. Uh, but then in 2022, they did uh, $8 million, 2023, $16 million. And on a TTM basis, they're at $12 million. Uh, but obviously the acquisition, $72 million. But yeah, they definitely yeah. Uh, started spending more. It's a noticeable difference on uh, yeah. PP&E or CapEx. Yeah. Yeah. So they went from mainly being like one plant, you know, associated with an, another customer specifically, um, being a lot of their capacity and stuff to being several things all across the United States and just a ton more capacity and everything. So it'll be very different, very exposed to steel. 
and um, a very earnings driven company, right? Cyclical. Um, if things go well, they could earn a lot of money suddenly, whereas before it was this quiet asset um, play, although it was always somewhat cyclical. But they had low but fairly steady, um, you know, I don't know if it was four or five percent returns on capital or something, but it was like pretty steady in that they didn't actually have that many years of losses. You can see that in the return on invested capital. For something to be a net net where it only had, what is that, two or three negative years in, you know, um, a quarter century. Uh, it's just very low returns on capital. It's not that it was negative. And then when COVID hit, steel prices surged, it suddenly had a lot of earnings and a lot of cash earnings, and then it used it. And so it transformed the company. And you can see that with the share price. I mean, at one time, the share price was probably a third of what it is now um, when people were most pessimistic about the company. Mm -hmm. Sort of that reflexivity thing in action in a way of like benefiting from the COVID spike and then using that to really transform the business you had always talked about how yeah it was surprising from the fact of this is a net net and they've paid a dividend for like 50 plus years and as you had just said had a few years of unprofitableness but other than that it was always a pretty like okay business right and i think even yeah we've talked about it would seem like a situation where an activist or a company or someone would get involved because it's, I mean, it, it was trading cheap, right? First of all, mm -hmm. I don't think they had any sort of like poison pill or anything in place. Uh, it's paid a dividend for a long time. It just seems like something that somebody would be interested in. And you have made the comment to me, I think off the pod, that you had felt like from like a replacement value, it would be yeah. almost cheaper to go this route and buy a company that has already established plants than to start up uh, a plant yourself, start a new steel business yourself here today. Yeah. And do you think that's why we're seeing all this news mm -hmm. come out with like U.S. Steel and everything going on. Yeah, that was my point with um, supermarkets specifically. You know, I think a lot of people saw that their earnings jumped 20 or some percent or something, you know, like 20 or 30 percent. But remember that the amount of money in dollars is up 20 or 30 percent since the beginning of COVID. So um, that's an industry that has very, very low entry and exit. You know, once you have a seasoned supermarket after, you know, about five years and it's profitable, the churn in that is extremely, extremely low. They have a life of like 30 years or something. So the number that can come in or out of the industry is very low. It's hard to do to expand a lot. Very few chains actually do expand much, you know, like HEB, Publix, Aldi, a couple others have are, you know, building out, but most aren't. And so you would go out and try to buy things um, because the, the old things are now able to do 20 or 30 percent more dollar volume even if they're doing the same physical volume and it probably costs 20 or 30 percent more to um build it i mean certainly during COVID and stuff the cost increased by more than that um so that that's a story also when we talk about car dealers it's a story when we talk about um u.s steel or any of those is that well if you want to expand you can buy other things or you can try to expand yourself some cases, it's difficult to expand yourself for reasons other than just cost. Um, and so when something comes into play, you know, it, it can be interesting that way. The, the same thing actually with U.S. Steel, a similar one, is Paramount. Because as I said, I mean, and that one's even more extreme because as I've said, there's no way to duplicate that. No one can start up a new, you can't redo that. It's too late in the industry's history. So you can buy a Paramount if you're Warner Brothers or if you're... Um, Apple or someone like that, but you can't build one from scratch, you know, um, 
because it's too late in the industry's history. That's just not possible anymore. Those things were built at a different time and they got the distribution and the popularity and the name recognition, and all of that at a different time. Um, and that may be the case for some of these other things in some industries, but the offset is, is the industry dying and everything and are the returns on capital high enough to make it worthwhile. But people with money in the industry may want to merge with those things, obviously. Mm-hmm. Is there an update on Paramount? Um, I'm reading this right now. Warner Bros. Discovery and talks to merge with Paramount Global. Is there anything that has stuck out to all you? That, all that I know about Paramount is they changed some things in their filings and stuff, which showed that they were interested in selling the company. National Amusements controls Paramount, the voting shares. Um, and there was stuff earlier where they had involvement with someone who was an investment banker, which showed that they were interested. Um, and then they changed some change of control stuff. And then there was the news of talks with Apple, which really set off the idea that they're probably close to selling and stuff because then, you know, something like, so it was the, the report there was that Apple and Paramount were considering bundling, but that's a prelude to like, are we going to buy the whole company or something? Right. Cause then you'd have to show, you know, they call it opening the kimono, right. They'd have to show their private data on that stuff to them and vice versa. They'd get an idea of how weak Apple plus is or not or whatever. Apple would get an idea of how strong or weak Paramount plus is all that kind of stuff. They get data on each other. So the fact they were moving that far along, it wasn't a big surprise that there was reports that Warner, um, their CEO, talked with the CEO of Paramount for a few hours. That's all the latest reporting. But, you know, that's not that long after the Apple reports came out, which suggested that they were moving along pretty far in that process. Mm-hmm. So what's an asset like Paramount worth then to a private buyer like Apple? I mean, what would the valuation, what do you think a company like this would go for? Buffett's involved, right? Um, in this, Buffett's involved. Uh, company. The- the Presumably stock has not responded much. I, I mean, I Warner Brothers Discovery is a lot more popular stock and everything, and everyone likes it a lot more than Paramount. I think Warner's overvalued relative to Paramount. Um, so, but everyone has said that Paramount won't get sold; that there's difficulties with selling it to a strategic buyer, and um, you know, there's a lot of negativity associated with it. So. Um, We'll see. It didn't respond much at all to the news of the those reports. Um, so it has a lot of debt. You know, um, the the market cap is quite small, as you can see, but the debt is like I don't know one and a half times or something more than market cap. So most of the enterprise value is debt. But similar situation with like Warner or something, they have a lot of debt. Um, so I I don't know exactly what to go for. I've said I think it would go for a lot if broken up into many different pieces and sold off. The difficulty is breaking up into those pieces so that each one gets its highest buyers. You know, the only reports I saw on that was uh, considering selling BET to management-led group. Um, there might be interest in like BET, Showtime separately, the network separately, stations separate from the network. You know, like for instance, with stations separate from the network, the biggest buyer would be uh, um, whether it is probably unless they change regulatory things would be like a. Um, private equity thing or something. But if they change regulatory things, then it could be like an X star or something like that, which was in rumored to be talking to um, Disney about the old capital city stations associated with the, the old capital cities, ABC. Um, there's still regulatory things in place for some of the TV stuff. There's not really regulatory things in place since the, the paramount decision 
back in the 40s was basically changed a few years ago. And so the um, distribution stuff has changed. You saw that with like AMC distributing um, concert films themselves and all that. And Amazon's been open that we know Amazon's consider buying movie theaters and stuff. So the fact that you could produce movies yourself, distribute movies yourself, own movie theaters yourself, they now think that they're allowed to do that, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. The The big thing with them is that there will be pressure to, once something's in play, not let someone else get it. So if you're Warner Brothers or if you're Comcast, not letting the other one get it. And I think there'll also be pressure because of regulatory, really political things that if you have a chance to do it now, you might want to do it because there'll just be political things later that just won't let you do it. Right. So we talked a little bit about that with like Microsoft and Activision. It was getting to a point where if you were Microsoft, Meta, um, Apple, Amazon, you just thought that the government would try to block anything that you did. So you probably want to do something big and do it fast. Um, and especially if you're like more favorably viewed by the public at the moment. So um, Paramount is not too overly sensitive that way. Um, I don't think that I don't think people realize exactly what it is, what, you know, everything that it owns and all that. And so it might be a little more possible. Um, Apple's not as popular as it used to be with the public, you know, but it has more goodwill than some other companies. It might be easier for them to pull off than, you know, like some of the other ones. And it has, you know, a, a, streaming service has to decide whether it wants to get out of or not, I think. Um, so I think it'll just make a decision that way. It would be weird for them to do a deal that transformative to what its business was. It's a small deal for them. Um, but I'm sure that they must have been some internal considerations of it that some people said, well, do we either buy something like this or do we shut down? Like I said before, if you look at Amazon, Apple, companies like that, everyone but Netflix, really, if they had bought a movie, the uh, movie studio, um, and all they really need is the studio. They don't need the other parts of the business. They would have been better off than what they ended up doing by producing movies. You know, Apple in the last quarter did two $200 million movies that they put in theaters. Um, you know, so both kind of more expensive movies with super old directors and stuff than probably other movie studios would have given them. Mm. Um, and so that's the kind of things that they're seeing and the deals that they're doing. Is that um, Napoleon think... and Killers of the Flower Moon? Yeah, both of those, yeah. So, um, which are fine. They're just really big budgets, you know. What do you um, think of Killers of the Flower Moon? I did not see Killers of the Flower Moon or Napoleon. Yeah. So I hate to say this. I was tired or it was late. I was very excited to watch Killers of the Flower Moon at home. Mm -hmm. It was on a Friday. I was tired from the week. I think I started watching after my son fell asleep. So call it, you know, 9 p.m. Well, I didn't realize it's like a, three-hour movie dude it well, is so long that's how that's how apple gets to be able to work with us people is that they won't force you to cut it down it was he worked so with netflix long. worked with yeah yeah it makes very long movies yeah well Even I Wolf of wall street was very long for that kind of movie right <laughs> yeah i mean that's a scorsese yeah. thing right i fell asleep mm -hmm. and uh you know my partner kept waking me up she's like you've been wanting to watch this for so long and i'm like i'm so tired i haven't even finished it i i kind of did not like it honestly i hate to say that great yeah. director apple leonardo the story's interesting enough i don't know put me to sleep i hate to say that i mean it's a topic i'm interested in kind of oil mm -hmm. you know put me to sleep it's a huge book what can i say yeah 
Yeah, it was a huge book. I thought the the book, I mean, even though it's a period piece and stuff, I thought the book could potentially be adapted into something that would be a big hit, but probably with a a different director half that age and, you know, a length half that long almost or two thirds as long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my brother was watching with us and everyone was just kind of like, is this movie moving fast? Like I'm, I'm really confused. Cause it does, it does jump around a lot mm. and everyone was confused and you know, I don't know. I don't know what the ratings were on it. I don't know what Rotten Tomatoes, I'm sure, you know, whatever, but I was kind of like, dang, like the trailers had me so pumped up. The trailers looked really great. And I'm familiar with the book, the story generally, but I don't know. It kind of put me to sleep. I haven't even finished it. So, you know, I don't know. Well, I think Killers of the Flower Moon and Napoleon will probably do, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon has had its run in theaters. Napoleon still has a little bit left to make. Um, We'll probably do similar amounts. So maybe slightly sub 200 million domestic US or something. And their budgets are probably around 200 million. I have no idea what the marketing. That's the difference is like, do these movies do okay? Because there's a lot less marketing of them. I mean, certainly in theaters and stuff, there was plenty of trailers and stuff for Killers of the Flower Moon. So I don't know if the marketing is a lot less. Um, but, you know, they do a lot of prestige things, you know? And so they get a lot of attention in in write-ups of media, you know, Apple and other um, studios uh, that do streaming online stuff, you know? Um, but I think part of the reason they focus on the prestige things is because they are willing to write bigger checks and much more freedom with runtime and things like that than other studios might be. And to have big time actors and directors who are maybe older, not as big draws as they once were. Um, you know, whereas Warner brothers does a movie like Wonka, which is less known director. People probably don't know directed like Paddington and stuff like that. Um, and less known actor, not as famously in order capital, but Timothy Chalamet, who's probably as big a draw. And, um, you know, I don't. I, I bet Wonka will make in its entire run something close to what Killers of the Flower Moon does, and um, it's more the kind of thing that they want to do for that kind of thing. It didn't open huge, but musicals usually have big legs, so you can open at forty and eventually make two hundred. Yeah, it's the opposite of like a horror movie or something. There's not much of a built-in audience, I think, for musicals. So, I mean, this is the biggest musical opening. Uh, I guess one of the sequels to. High School Musical opened huge, but didn't eventually wasn't that big. But I mean, um, the biggest musical in recent times is probably The Greatest Showman. Uh, I don't remember where La La Land ended up eventually, but both of those opened small and then had really, really long runs. Um, So um, this one was interesting because in the trailers and stuff, they didn't explicitly show a lot of singing. So they kind of didn't play up the fact that it was a musical to people. And part of the reason might be that musicals have done so badly in recent years. Um, Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, so Paramount has not moved up on that. As we said, Buffett, you know, Berkshire, I think Buffett owns some Paramount, but they bought it at what, like almost twice the price. I don't think they've bought any in the last nine months or something, Um, but they haven't sold any that we're aware of. Um, We only see in the filings, the quarterly filings when they update it because it's the um, B share. So you don't have to update um, when you, uh, you don't have to update as he sells it down or something. So we wouldn't know. Um, But yeah, so that company is in play. As we said, U.S. Steel is in play and U.S. Steel was trading for a long time as if it was going to sell at $35. Yeah. um, That's what I wanted to bring up. Um, Yeah. Gosh. So usually on my daily, uh, 
browsing, I use uh, Brave, just an ad blocker. Mm -hmm. But when we record, because the company we use to record, the website we use to record, you have to use Chrome or not the one that I use. So all these ads yeah. always pop up. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I wanted to ask, is this a merger arb situation you'd be interested in, right? A quick uh, filter for you is if you'd want to own it, if it doesn't go through, are we getting to evaluation where if it doesn't go through, you risk, you know, it dropping in a pretty meaningful way um, mm -hmm. uh, one morning. But so uh, $55 a share is what the price will be uh, for Nippon. Is it Nippon? Nippon Steel uh, to mm -hmm. acquire U.S. Steel, uh, $14.9 billion. And previously, uh, as Jeff had just said, Cleveland Cliffs. Purchase price was $35 a share. There was also a couple yeah. other people interested. There were other offers around 35. I think they were soft. I don't know what, that we, we don't probably have data on what the other bids were in like provided as a sealed bid situation. But my guess is there were three or four other bidders around 35, though some might have said, oh, some will be stocks, some will be cash, some will be contingent on yeah. something. But they all seemed like they were trying to kind of match the 35 bid in some form. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And since, and since this came out, uh, Cliff shares jumped 10%. Uh, as they decide against uh, the deal, Cliff said it would now press on with aggressive share buybacks under a program it had previously authorized. A different company also uh, went up on news that uh, U.S. Steel is being acquired by somebody else. It says Nippon is paying the equivalent of 7.3 times U.S. Steel's 12 months, 12 month earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Uh, it says the median in the steel making industry is seven times. Some analysts said U.S. Steel was worth less given that it's 774 million takeover of the big river steel mill in arkansas in 2021 has yet to pay off in profitability yeah. we feel nipin is overpaying for those assets this isn't the technology space this is still the cyclical steel industry so um maybe yeah. a good sale for us steel and maybe not a good buy for nippon steel it might not be um I, they're reasonable price versus book and things like that and also they had some heavy capex so i don't know that EBITDA is the best measure. Usually you would use things like capacity and stuff like that too. And so I, I don't like the use of EBITDA as just the measure there. Um, I know that that was part of the interest of some of the early bidders was that they knew that they had invested in the business recently and it wasn't yet paying off. So at 35, I think they thought, oh, it looks like it's not a super low multiple in terms of EBITDA or something, but we're looking at EBITDA a few years ahead. Um, no one really knows what the EBITDA will be. Um, your steel has, um, I think it's been extremely lumpy, their cyclical earnings. Um, we said this is 15. That's, um, I don't know if there's maybe six, 700 million or something is their 10 year average, probably in terms of operating income before, but you can see that in like half or more of the years they lost money. And then a few years they made money and that offsets it. Um, so pre-tax i don't know if they're more than 700 million or something and you're paying 15 billion for it um so that's a ton yeah 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 for sure it's three times what they earned in the last few years if they got one year like that again then the deal would pay off yeah mm -hmm. uh, no, no probably not that I was, would be interested at 35, not near 50, because the other bidders were lower. Um, but on the other hand, you do still have a bid for something that's quite cheap. So usually it wouldn't be at the end of an auction process like this. It would have been in the middle where you saw it at the 35 or something is the one that's more interesting. Um, it's very cheap stock, though. Um, so, 
you just in terms of like the grand measures of assets and stuff. And even what we said, even if it's seven times EBITDA or something, okay. Um, that's not a high level. Um, but you did have someone bid, you know, twenty dollars $20 a share more than what the other bids were on it at the end. So this is usually the point where you wouldn't be interested, even though there might be a high chance the deal will close. There's some chance the deal won't close because um, there's union opposition to it. But that's tricky because of the political situation, because the political party that supports unions in the United States is the Democratic Party. And the Democratic Party has the issue here that this is a Japanese company trying to buy it and the union is against it because they don't want a foreign buyer. So the other part of the Democratic Party doesn't want to be xenophobic. And so they'll have this problem of dealing with it, that different parts of the party will not like the idea of, you know, sounding like Trump and stuff and saying we can't have a Japanese company come in here buy an American company. But that's really the only case that the union has here for why not to sell. So um, but the president stuff is very pro-union and it's an election year. So there might be a lot of rhetoric about it and stuff. And it'll take the deal a long time to close. So you probably hear a lot about it politically. Mm hmm. Got it. Well, it's one that we will continue to follow on the podcast. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us on the Focus Compiling Podcast. If this is the first time you're joining us, be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening or watching us here today. And of course, if you're interested in learning about our money management services, you can reach out to me at andrew at focuscompounding.com. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next podcast. Take care.